We're walking through the Gospel of John, and today we're in the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 26. And I encourage you to pull out your Bible or your iPhone, or maybe you've memorized these verses. Um, let me just back up a little bit, zoom out a little bit, so to put this passage in the context. So in John chapter 13, Jesus has a meal. We call it the Last Supper. And, and at that meal, Jesus has his beloved ones called the disciples, those who have been journeying with him. The men and, women, the men and also the women who've called to be with him. And Jesus says, ah, well, John in writing says, Jesus knows where he is going. And so he wanted to show his disciples how much he loved them, so he, he, he washed their feet. And they shared in a meal together. And in this same room afterwards, he begins to teach. And so John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, was Jesus' teachings. John chapter 17 not sure if that's his prayer there or someplace else, but it's a totality of Jesus' prayer in John 17. But John 14, 15, and 16, what Jesus is doing is that he is preparing his disciples. You could say that he's equipping them. And in John 14, he says this, that, that I, am, I am going away. I'm not going to be here. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. But don't fret. Don't freak out because I'm coming back. And what's, what's troubling for some of us is, is that we say, well, is he just like, am I in the parking lot of the grocery and he's just running in to get something? Or is he like gone for a couple of months or a couple of years or a couple of millenniums? We'll talk about that later this summer. But that, that when's he, is he, is he coming back? And, and when is he coming back? Jesus says, I'm coming back. And so he's, he's preparing his disciples for, for this season and, and this stage of that he will physically leave this earth. And how are they to live in this world without him? Well, Jesus prefaces in, in John 14, he'll say it again here in John 15 and John 16 is this, that, you know what? You want me to go away. Because something greater is coming. And we're thinking, and I'm thinking, greater than Jesus? I mean, something greater. Jesus is like, yeah. Something greater. And he introduces the Holy Spirit. And he begins to teach us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying here is that this age of Jesus being present, physically present with us, is coming to an end, and there's a birth of a new age, an age of the church, the age of the Spirit. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples on how to live in this world without him physically. And he says, we can do it, and he says, it's going to be greater than him being by our side. Let's sort of dig into this here 
in John 15. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are making an offering, a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Oh, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Wow. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Jesus has this principle. And the principle is this. That, that, that we are not to live in the world to find God, but that how we are to live in the world is that we are to be in Christ for the world. And so building off his teaching from, from John chapter 15, where Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing without me. Meaning that, hey, listen, don't focus on the fruit, that how you're gonna live in this world is in me, is in me. And as you live in this world, in me, I want you to live for the world. And he goes on and says this, that the Holy Spirit, this is my paraphrase, Holy Spirit is inside of you, is greater than me besides you. Let 
that sit in for a second. Jesus says, it's good. It's for your benefit that I am leaving. It's actually going to be great. Because then I have to go so the Spirit will come. I will send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit inside of you, that when you come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And that Spirit is going to be greater than me being beside you. And what he's saying is, listen, beloved ones, disciples, this is how you are going to live in the world. You don't have to be hope. I hope Jesus was, we can't live in this world. Where is Jesus? I can't find Jesus. He says, no, it's to be greater. You're going to be able to do things. You're going to be empowered. You're going to have so much strength because why? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who comes from my Father. He's going to live in you and to be greater than me beside you. And it's just, when you think about it, it's just crazy. What Jesus is saying is that, hey, disciples, this is how you're going to live in the world, that that, that you're going to live in this world, and it's going to be a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is when we all check out, because the Holy Spirit is sort of fuzzy and and invisible, and it's like, when, and do I, and like, what do I do? I walk around, and I look for all these stuff, it's most of us are like, I don't understand. That's why Jesus is teaching here. He says, he says, how you are to live in this world, it's, it's by living in me. And it's by my spirit living in you. And as, as my spirit reigns and rules in your life, then you are going to be able to live in this world. And it's this dynamic relationship. It's so funny that toward the end of, of Luke's gospel, when the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God at Pentecost, he tells them this, do nothing. Don't do anything. Don't have any meetings. Don't start making all these plans that, that Jesus has ascended to the Father and saying, do nothing. Why? Because they were going to do something apart from the Spirit. And he loves them so much. He says, don't do anything until the Spirit comes. And Jesus' mind We can't do anything. We can't be the church. We can't live in this world apart from the Spirit. And anything we do without the Spirit, we're actually doing nothing. But he loves us so much, and he's preparing us on how to live this life. We live it with the Spirit inside us. I love what Francis Chan says. He says, you know, we see all the problems in the church. Amen? Yeah, there's a lot. We got a lot of problems. But he says, we don't need another book. We don't need another book to point all these problems out, the problems in the church, the ineffectiveness of the church. What we need and what we don't need is more faith, right? We need faith to believe that the solution is really much simpler. It's this, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. As he begins, John 15, 26, 27, says, when the advocate comes. What's interesting about that, that phrase, the advocate, other translations say counselor, some other translations say helper. That's, it's a legal term. It's a legal term. I, I remember when I was graduating business school at Baylor University, they say, hey, you know, there's two things you need, a good lawyer and a good accountant. No one ever said a good pastor. My brother's a lawyer, and uh, at my wedding rehearsal, my dad says, 
I am so proud. I have two sons, one's a lawyer, one's a pastor, and I have heaven and hell covered. <laughs> I said, well, which one's heaven and which one's hell? I, I don't know. Advocate counselor is, it's a legal term. It, it, it really means is that, is that someone is here, that the Holy Spirit is here to strengthen us, to give us advice, to, to defend us, to, 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 to someone who believes in us, to, to, to remind us of, of what is true, that, that we have an advocate, that we have a counselor. Jesus is saying, these aren't just titles, this is a function of the Holy Spirit, that when you feel alone, I love this. Jesus is not saying, listen, I'm leaving, and you got to deal all this by yourself. That what he's saying is you can't. You can't live in this world because the prince of this world is so powerful. There is no way you're going to be able to live in this. And there's no way that you'll be able to discover truth that, that you will not survive. But we do. We think we can. We think we're smart enough. I, I got all the knowledge. I can do it. Just like, no, you need an advocate. You need a counselor. And I've sent you the Holy Spirit. Are you accessing the advocate? Are you accessing the counselor? I was reading this past week in Exodus 17, and it's just this beautiful moment. And, I, and so Moses had just... Watched God resolve this major crisis. The people were without water. And, and so Moses cries out. They're about to kill him. Moses cries out. God brings water from a rock. And then all of a sudden, Moses goes from there into a war. I was like, man, that's like leadership, right? One fire to another. <laughs> and so Moses is he's in the middle of this war. And so he sends Joshua to go, and they're fighting and so Joshua is down in, in the battlefield and he's fighting and Moses is up above. And there's something very interesting about this. That, 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 that Moses has a staff and, and anytime Moses' hands are up, the people are prevailing. The Israelites are winning. But when his hands fell down, they were losing. And his hands were up. It's like Simon, right? His hands were up. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. And his hands were up. They were prevailing. Hands down. They weren't. But Moses got tired, fatigued. What we read here is that there were two people who came by. Aaron or her. And when they, they, they held up his hands. And when he got tired, they got this rock and they made it like this bench. And so why? Because Moses could not do it by himself. He needed others around him to hold up his hands so that the nation of Israel would actually prevail. And I thought that is just a, a perfect, beautiful illustration of our lives. We, we try to hold up our hands and we keep falling. And we're tired and we're fatigued. And that we need others around us. So I, I wrote down, you know, sometimes we're called to hold up other people's hands. And there are times that we need others to hold up our hands. That's a beautiful picture of what the church is really to be about. And we get it wrong. There words be community of lifting each other's hands up. 
And what Jesus says, you're going to fail, and you're going to grieve, and you don't have the strength, but I'm giving you someone greater who's going to hold up your hands. And he's not just an advocate or a counselor. He's actually the spirit of truth. Jesus repeats this again in chapter 16. And we know what, what Jesus said. Jesus says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say I'm a truth. He says I am the truth. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, hey, you know what? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And how Jesus sees life, he's, he's saying like this, I am the greatest reality I am the realest reality in the world that when you ground yourself in me, I am the truth and I will set you free. In me, you can live in the world. The truth today is fuzzy. It's personal. Really no objective truth, absolute truth. We live in the world, I love what Mark Clark says, today in our culture, we have flipped the words of Jesus, and when I am free, then I am true. Jesus says, when you live in my truth, I will set you free, but our culture says, hey, when I'm free, then I'm true. And Jesus says, no, when you're free, when you're in me, because I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the purpose, what we see here, when Jesus calls the spirit, the spirit of truth, he does this twice. The role and the function of the spirit is to point to Jesus. There's this professor, his name is um, Dale Bruner. And he used to teach this class at Whitworth College. And he had this you guys don't remember chalkboards, but he had this mass, this big, okay, dry erase board, or I'd say a big screen, but it was this big chalkboard. And he wasn't really a, a tall man, but this is my favorite part of watching him. And so he would take the chalkboard and he'd write Jesus on it. And then he'd go behind the chalkboard and he'd start jumping. And he'd do this and do this and do this and this. And I was like, what's going on? He goes, that's the Holy Spirit. It's just dynamic and animating. It's like pointing you to Jesus, 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 Jesus. Why? Because he is the truth. He's the truth. And we live in this dynamic relationship with him. But, but to be honest with you, sometimes we're like, well, I'm trying to discern. What's the difference because between my human instinct? That, that is it just me or is it the truth? Like, I, how, how do I discern between the Holy Spirit and my feelings, and my gut. I feel like sometimes the Spirit just speaks to me in my gut. But, here's, but, but here's, here's how Brian discerns the Spirit. One is I have to realize that everything in me is depraved. Okay? I know I just lost everybody. But my mind, and my emotions, and my will, and my eyes, and my thoughts, all depraved. What does that mean? It means that 
everything in me wants to choose something else besides God. But then I realize that everything in God is good. Every word of God is good. So when I start there, like, okay, I need to test my spirit. I may be feeling this or sensing this, but I'm going to sit with it because I know I can be led astray by my feelings and my emotions. So I'm going to let it sit. I know God is good, and God's given me his word, and so if I am truly being led by the Holy Spirit, then it has to be consistent with God's word. Is it consistent? Then I bring others around me and say, I'm, I'm hearing this, I'm sensing this. Is, is this me or is this God? And this is the trick. I have to be open to those I've asked to speak into me for them to say, it's you, not God. And this is the dynamic relationship. The role of the Spirit, living in this dynamic relationship. And what's, what's fascinating is that as we get, as we make our way to verse 25 and 26, what, or 26 and 27, what Jesus says, hey, listen, this is how the world is going to know who I am. The world is going to know who I am through the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And he says later on that what's going to happen to you is that you're going to experience a lot of remorse. You're going to be kicked out of your synagogue. Some of you are going to die. And this is the reason why, is that, is that people do not believe, they have not believed in Jesus. They know about Jesus, but, but they have, they're not walking with Jesus. And so the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. But then he adds... And we know from the Old Testament that you always need two witnesses to confirm. He says this to the disciples. <laughs> this is funny. You're going to be a witness. You're going to testify. That people are going to know the, the, the validity, the beauty from you. If you think about it, uh, if somebody is, is trying to make a case, uh, a legal case, again, this is, Jesus using these legal terms, is that he's bringing us as a witness to say, is Jesus real? Is he true? Is he really the son of God? And when I laugh at this is that Jesus only has one plan. There's a plan A. There's no plan B. That the church is part of God's plan A. That the how God is going to get the world to know about Jesus, it's through the witness of the church. And then I read this study. The Barner Group did a study about pastors on credibility in our culture today. What they found out was, is that, uh, <laughs> that there are, yeah, 23% of adults like, yeah, I trust a pastor. 
But note the other end, 24%. No, I don't trust a pastor. And if you, if you go down to the last row, it says, how about those who are not even walking with Jesus? 29 and 31, that's a big number. That's 60% of people. Don't trust me. Because the role I play and the role in culture, the, the role that maybe they've had a pastor in their life and something's happened. But you can reach people I can't. And together, we are to bear witness to Christ. We're not just to consume and say, how was church? Did you feel good at church? Did you get what you needed in church? No. Did we bear witness to Christ? How can we bear witness to Christ? How can we encourage each other to bear witness to Christ? And I think about a couple of things. One is our worship life is a witness. It's a corporate witness. When I was, uh, I was meeting with some, I don't know, some younger people, everybody's younger than me, younger people this week, and I was sharing my story about how I, I met Jesus, and I, I remember, I said, well, you know, I went to, I was in this college, and, and I left the church, I hated the church, all this stuff, and, and this guy invited me, invited me to church, and he brought me to this worship service, and not like I hadn't been to church before, I had. I was really indifferent, really cynical of the church. But you know what? When I went to that church, which is the last place I wanted to be as a college kid, you know, when I went into that church, you know what intrigued me? was the passion of the worshipers. And I went, wow, I haven't seen... I've seen this at a pep rally. I've never seen this in the church before. When I was in Israel, we were meeting with this Scottish Presbyterians in Jerusalem. That's a weird title, right? They were, and afterwards, we had lunch with a pastor, and it was the most depressing lunch. I've been a lot of depressed. This is one of the top depressing lunches I've ever been to. He said, oh, it's, it's tough to be a Christian here. Jerusalem? Like, and this is like the holiest of cities? I mean, everywhere I walk, there's, there's religious people. Oh, man, it's just, it's, just, it's just really hard. It's just, man, it's really hard to get people to come to church. And I was like, wow, that was really depressing. And so we went out and did our little tourist thing, and we came back, and as I was coming back with my buddy, I hear this worship music and my friend who's a worship leader I said you hear that I said, yeah let's go check that out and so we walked over and there was this auditorium jam packed with people now I made a C in Hebrew the second semester the first semester I did pretty well but I, I sort of you know my, my Hebrew is really rusty but I sort of knew the tunes. I was like, that's a worship song. That's another worship song. The place was so packed, the only place that was free was in the front row, which is always like that, right? So we walked all the way down the front row, and I turned, and 
I was much younger then, but I was like, wow, it was like the average age is like 22, 23 in this whole place. I don't know, there's probably like six, 700 people there. And they were praising, they were awesome. They were Jews who had embraced Jesus and they were worshiping. We had a team meeting that night and, and, uh, and so everybody was sharing like, hey, how was your day? I was like, man, that pastor, he is really depressing. I mean, it's really hard being a Christian. I said, well, no, 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 there's not. Nope, 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 nope. While well, all of you guys were doing your stuff, Bill and I went to this worship service. It's actually where we're meeting, and it was unbelievable. Some folks here from Grace invited me to a, another church in our city, and when we were there, I just sat back, and I felt like I was back in college. Everyone was worshiping. Some knew the song, some didn't. I knew, I don't know, but it was just like this joy that broke out. And this really challenged me about our collective witness. Jesus says, hey, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna be a testimony. At the Christian life, it's not all about you, but that you are gonna bear a testimony that you're going to lead others. You're going to point others to Christ, and it could be through a workday serving. It could be taking a meal. It could just be offering a prayer. It could be just singing a song with joy. It could be just going over your neighbor and just, and just praying. But that together... We're in the world, not for ourselves, but for Christ, for others who know Christ. And today we get to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and that's what this meal is all about. This was the last meal that, that Jesus had as he was preparing his disciples, that this is how he taught who he was and what he was about to do. And in that supper, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner after supper, our Lord took the cup saying, this cup, it's a new covenant. See, the old covenant was if it do all these things to earn God's favor, the new covenant, Jesus did them all for us. And so it's all by grace. And so he went to a cross and, and, he, and he bled and, and died. And he was this perfect offering for us. And for us to remember what Jesus has done, for us to remember that he's coming any moment, but also to take this meal together to give witness that he's here with us. And he's here for you. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we ask that you take this bread, 
into the power and work of your Holy Spirit that you allow for this bread to become the body and blood of Jesus. The body of Jesus and put his wine and his juice to become the blood of Christ. And it's through his sacrifice that we are forgiven. And it's through his resurrection that there's life. Death has been conquered. And Jesus, you've given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit points us to you. Maybe we've been trying to hold our week together. Maybe today is just let it go. Maybe there is a pain and a hurt in a relationship that we let you in. Maybe today is today that we welcome you into our life. You know where we are. We're here in person, we're online. You know the cries of our heart. You know the pain points. And so I trust, Lord, that through this meal, as we partake of this bread and drink from this cup, that we are united with you. Remembering what you've done. Excited that you're going to come back any moment, but knowing you are with us. Holy Spirit, make Christ present to us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, 